On this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and myself, Russ Heltman, dive deep into all six NFL Super Wild Card weekend games. A couple of quarter-century monkeys shaking off the backs of the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns as they move on. LA Rams weather a quarterback injury storm. We have the Baltimore Ravens finally coming back down from double digits to win a game with Lamar Jackson. And then Mitchell Trubisky and company fall at the hands of the New Orleans Saints. All that and more coming up on this week's episode. Special Monday recap NFL edition episode of Riding the 3x3. Rate, subscribe, review, do all that good stuff wherever you get your podcast: Google, Spotify, Apple. As always, thank you for supporting the Riding the 3x3 movement. Let's roll into lane number one. Cruising in the lane number one on this super wild card weekend recap edition, very special edition of Riding the 3x3. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined as always by my co-host, Patrick Fetch, who... Uh, just, we didn't hear a lot from Pat last night during the festivities out there at Heinz Field. Uh, a, a shocking result, nonetheless. A, a part of some very shocking results across the entire NFL landscape. We'll let him touch on he, uh, the death of his 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers at the hands of their, uh, their, their now rivals. We can call this a rivalry now that the Cleveland Browns have won a game on the road against Pittsburgh. But we'll save that one for last. I'll kick us off, Pat, with the Saturday slate, starting off with the 1 p.m. thriller in Buffalo, the Bills get the job done. First victory in a playoff game for the Buffalo Bills in a quarter century. 1995 was the last time this franchise picked up a win in the postseason. They get it done 27-24. And to me, Pat, the story of this game for Buffalo was the keys have been handed fully to Josh Allen. 35 attempts, 26 of 35, 324, two touchdowns through the air. He also had over 50 yards on the ground, 70% completion. And according to Graham Barfield on Twitter, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to have over 300 yards passing, 70% completion, and over 50 yards rushing in a game. It was the complete package from Josh Allen, the full experience. We even had a crazy long sack out of the guy and... Despite a highly efficient, great day from Phillip Rivers, no turnovers from the Colts, and over 470 yards of offense, somehow, some way, Buffalo circled the wagons and got it done, Pat. This was a great game, and you said it right. I mean, the Colts played really, really well in this game for the most part. Mm-hmm. But the Bills just showed exactly uh, why so many people are so high on them. They're the hottest team in football. Josh Allen is playing as good as football as anybody, including Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, and the likes of those who uh, will be, you know, edging him out for MVP ultimately. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just awesome watching the Bills play. Josh has been great. Fully uh, fully the leader of this team, fully the leader of this offense. Stephon Diggs had an awesome game, made some huge grabs, had like a 35-yard diving play down the middle, took a hit while he got it. It's it's swagger, and I think it's, uh, it's a trend that we will probably talk about as we touch on all the games, but I think it was one that was super evident over the weekend. It's just some of these teams in the NFL – seem to have lost their mojo, lost the swagger, lost the confidence that gets them going, gets them juiced. The Bills have absolutely not. And in a game where the Colts came out firing, came out strong, they had their offense was looking really good. Like you said, Phillip Rivers was making some great throws, connecting with Pittman. He had Doyle open anytime he wanted them. Yeah. The running backs, both Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, made great plays, were really uh, getting tough yards, breaking tackles all over the field. But credit where credit is due to the bills credit to sean mcdermott josh allen i mean even when it's not pretty even when you don't dominate you come away with the wins 
always had the game in control, it felt like, too. So the Bills continue to impress. Got a, a nice little victory for the 6,700 fans in attendance. Was glad to see Bills Mafia being able to uh, have some kind of consortium showing out at uh, the stadium over there in Orchard Park. But 24-10, late lead here for the Buffalo Bills. They weather the storm from uh, Phillip Rivers. Everybody was saying it on Twitter, Pat. It was so fitting. The way for this season, once again, to end for Phillip Rivers, going down the stretch with a chance to either tie or win the game. They couldn't get the job done. But here, here for me on the flip side with the Colts, I kind of want to focus on on Frank Reich here, who made some, I, 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 albeit in-the-moment questionable decisions, but I want to commend him here because the Buffalo Bills have been a freight train on offense. This is a team that has entered the stratosphere of the Kansas City Chiefs, of the Green Bay Packers, these elite offenses that put up 25-plus every single week. You weren't going to win this game with field goals. And Frank Reich realized that on the team's, I believe, final drive of the first half, right before Josh Allen led, I think, the best drive of his entire career, the long 96-yard answering drive after Frank Reich and his team failed to convert on the fourth down attempt to get the ball in the end zone from inside the five-yard line. The outstretched arms of Michael Pittman Jr. just not quite enough to get them that lead. This game completely changes if Michael Pittman Jr. is just able to get his hands all the way across it. They say, Pat, as a wide receiver, if you're able to touch it, you should catch it. And that was a massive, massive missed opportunity. But one, I I will commend Frank Reich for making the right decision there in hindsight because of the firepower they were facing on the road. You are the white knight for Phillip Rivers, aren't you? Always there to protect (laughs) your man. Because even on the broadcast, I feel like it was Charles Davis who was doing this game. But I feel like even on the broadcast, they talked about the how that's what Phil Rivers was there to do. That's what Frank Reich and the Indianapolis Colts went out, paid him $20 million this year for, was because he's supposed to be able to make those throws. You're on the five-yard line. You got one-on-one. Pittman has him beat, has the corner, has the angle. And Phil just put it right over his head. I mean, yeah, it was a catchable ball still. It's like and all six the ways, inches, like basically. Played, but six yeah, inches. But, I mean, nonetheless, and on top of that, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship doinking the you know 20-whatever yarder in the first yeah, half. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, yeah. turns out to be the difference in the game. And so I understand your point that, yeah, Frank Wright definitely deserves a bunch of credit in keeping his team in this game and really, you know, as a coach – he set his team up in plenty of places to succeed in this game. And, uh, you know, his, his players ultimately, whoever you want to put it on, sort of let him down in this one. But I think, yeah, credit to Frank Wright. If he gets the right quarterback in there and just a quarterback who does, you know, slightly above average, I think you feel really, really good about him, uh, you know, directing his team, setting his team up for success and everything that he's done as coach of the Colts. Lost by three points in a game where they had 470 yards of total offense, over, over 75 yards more. Then the Buffalo Bills, you had more drives. You had um, more total offensive yards, like I mentioned. Two penalties on the day. No turnovers from either team. But uh, they just weren't flawless enough for Indianapolis. On a day where the Buffalo Bills like didn't play their best football. Josh Allen and this offense weren't exactly firing on all cylinders. Matt Eberflus and that Indianapolis Colts defense did a good job with DeForest Buckner and company uh, getting interior pressure and uh, making Josh Allen feel the heat just a little bit. But the guy, when he was rolling out on some of those throws, it was John Elway S. The way of the physicality this guy plays with, the just zip he can put on the football at almost any arm angle. I, like, 
the way he's been developing, Pat, you and I discussed this last week, he, the sky is the limit for his overall raw talent. It's just about reining in the uh, the full Josh Allen experience like I led this game off with as Buffalo – uh, they were not happy with the Cleveland Browns uh, upset win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm sure they would have loved to uh, to go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend, but instead they will be taking on the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, will be getting that game in just a moment. But congratulations once again to the Buffalo Bills. 27-24 victory. Unbelievable job by them. And they uh, continue this train rolling. The hottest team in the NFL uh, stays red hot. Let's get rolling to the mid portion of the Saturday slate here. Los Angeles Rams traveling to Seattle to take on the Seattle Seahawks, who fall 30 to 20, ending a 10 game home playoff winning streak for Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. He was uh, abysmal, was Mr. Russell Wilson in this game. 11 of 27. 40, less than 41% completion, 174 yards, did pass for two touchdowns, but had a terrible interception. The only interception this season that a quarterback has thrown on a designed wide receiver screen. That's the only one in the entire 2020 season. And, of course, it happens to the Seattle Seahawks in this game, resulting in a pick six and ultimately allowing this Rams team an offense that had it scored a touchdown on their own in almost three weeks to get the 30 overall points a defensive masterpiece from coordinator Brandon Staley and his group up front. They turned in one of the, not even arguable, Pat, this was one of the bottom five performances in the illustrious career of Russell Wilson. Yeah, and I'm happy you said his name, Brandon Staley. I had no idea the defensive coordinator for the Rams was, but apparently it's a 38-year-old youngin out of Perry, Ohio, by Mm -hmm. the name of Brandon Staley. Spent his last few years coaching the outside linebackers for the Broncos and the Bears with the likes of Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and Khalil Mack. Vic Fangio guy. yeah, big and we we've seen how good Vangio has been in in developing defenses wherever he's been. And so definitely got a great young mind both on the offense and defense side of the Rams. I this is why I love the Rams. They they didn't play great. They weren't dominant. Their offense really was one dimensional a lot of ways. Just relying on getting a run game going just to give Goff and Wolford any bit of time off of play action to get easy throws and easy reads. Huge day so, for um, Akers. That was awesome to see out huge, of him. 131 yards huge on the day. ground. Tough, tough yards, too. We always like to bring it up. Longest carry was 20 yards. Still got 131, averaged almost five on the ground. That is some tough, hard-earned yardage right there from Cam Akers. So, uh, got to love the way the Rams are playing. If they can get this offense to click and find a groove in these weeks, I mean, they can beat anybody. There's not a team that I want to go up against uh, that with McVay given the time to game plan and all of that that uh, that the Rams have to offer. They they can be scary for anybody in the NFC. I would be uh, watching my back if I'm the other teams in that, in that conference. Russell Wilson, uh, 7 of 18 when pressured in this game for 102 yards and a QBR of 4. So, yeah, when, De- when Aaron Donald and company got in old Russell Wilson's face, it was basically lights out, game over from uh, from that point on. The, the offensive line was horrible in Saturday's outing. It's just a 53.6% pass block win rate. This is this is bad stuff so far that we've seen from Seattle. And it's the same formula that we've seen from the Seattle team basically since the Malcolm Butler interception. This team has been very vanilla on offense. It's been increasingly more vanilla on defense. One of these teams, Pat, or actually both of these teams, gave up massive first-round pick value for secondary players, Jalen Ramsey is paying off big time for the Ram or for the LA Rams. Meanwhile, Jamal Adams 
paying off horribly, uh, at least when we're talking about coverage factors from these two guys. Looking at Ramsey in particular, he was so good in this game. 24 snaps in coverage against DK Metcalf. He was targeted on eight of those, completed four passes for 47 yards and a little bit of a garbage time touchdown there in the fourth quarter. Their studs are playing like studs. They have the best young defensive coordinator in the league right now. An awesome job by Sean McVay to recognize the faults in his coaching staff, go out and poach a competitor that has shown the ability to stifle your own offensive scheme and you bring them into your building. That's amazing offensive uh, offensive awareness, amazing coaching awareness. And what do you know? 37-0 and now when taking a halftime lead into the locker room. That's unbelievable coaching. I don't know if they have the uh, the quarterback play, which we'll get to right now, to be able to go into Lambeau Field, a chilly Lambeau Field, and take out Aaron Rodgers and a burgeoning Green Bay Packers offense. But I got to tip my cap, nonetheless, to Jared Goff. Coming in for an injured John Wolford, who was actually taken to the hospital with a little bit of a, it was like a neck crunch stinger type of thing. He only only threw six passes in this game, and Jared Goff had to come in with basically one thumb, didn't have a thumb operational on his throwing arm, and hit nine passes for 155 yards, 8.2 per attempt, no turnovers, Pat, almost a 94 overall quarterback rating, just enough to get the job done, and it just kind of goes to show that Sean McVay can be a, can be a chameleon anytime it's asked of his offense. Is there a worse matchup that you drew if you're the Green Bay Packers, Russ? It's tough I mean, talk with about, that pressure they can create on Aaron Rodgers. The pressure that they can create. They've got the best corner in the league to match up against, mm-hmm. you know, what the Packers run out there and Devontae Adams in such a such a massive uh, target, such a big focal, focal point of that offense for the Packers. On top of that, the Packers' run defense, we said it in past years and in past weeks, has, has been soft, has been suspect at times. The Rams just proven that they're going to commit to the run uh and they're going to do it at full stop, especially with the way Cam Akers has been able to uh, move into swing. He's got that young body. I hate this matchup for the Packers. I think the Packers are just too good of a team. Aaron Rodgers is playing too well. Lambeau is too good of an advantage. But I could not think of a worse matchup to draw if I'm the Green Bay Packers. going to be interesting to see how the quarterback room shake out in terms of rehabbing these injuries over the next few days. Because if you ask any odds maker uh, whether or not the starter for the Rams matters this weekend. They'll tell you it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Like John Wolford going into that game uh, on Saturday would have had, or John Wolford as the quarterback for the Rams and Jared Goff as the quarterback for the Rams. It was going to be the same points point spread according to the guys in Vegas of uh, right there three three and a half points in favor of the Seattle Seahawks versus if uh, if Russell Wilson had been out of that game, it would have flipped all the way to three three and a half points in favor of the Rams. That's how uh, that's how little of a difference. The uh, odds makers think of Jared Goff versus John Wolford at this current moment. Got to be tough for the Rams when they're paying one of those guys over $30 million. But, you know, they got the job done. They got the win. They have arguably the best coach in the National Football League. And uh, they, I think that's that's what, a playoff victory in three out of four years now for Jared, for Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams headed up by Sean McVay. So great job by them. They move on to face off against the Green Bay Packers. And if you're Before the Seattle... Before we move on, Russ. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Pat. Where, you well, where are you going to go? I was going to go right back to the Seahawks, too. So yes. where are you going to go? Great Pat? minds think alike, Pat. What do you do if you're Seattle? You, it's kind of a... It's not the same situation. It's not, it's not as, like, cap-strapped or dire with an aging quarterback 
like the Steelers are kind of facing, but two teams in a similar spot now where they've been spinning the wheels with the same kind of uh, same kind of game plans. And when you give up that much draft capital for Jamal Adams just to end up the same place where you were last season, it's got to sting. Uh, we're, great minds think alike. You're exactly right, Russ, because I was going to the Steelers comparison exactly. Ooh, and, nice. And what's concerning, you know, we'll touch on it later. I'll touch on it later. It, it's the coaching decisions, I think, maybe. Or um, when you have this established coach who has been adaptive, has been able to win with different rosters, why does it feel like they have so much trouble adapting to when things go wrong? Mm-hmm. This is a Seattle offense that is not bad. We saw that Russell Wilson was an MVP candidate. DK Metcalf was Terrell Owens. They were running the ball successfully. Tyler Lockett was unguardable, especially when a play broke down. They were able to manage just enough to hold up on a bad offensive line. Okay, so defenses adjust to it. They find ways to beat you. They find your weaknesses. Where was the adjustment back? Where is the back adjustment? So if I'm thinking, if you're the, if you're the Seahawks, and I know this is the answer for the Steelers, but if you're the Seahawks, you got to get got to get rid of offensive coordinator. You got to get rid of Brian Schottenheimer. You have to bring someone in more young, more adaptive, more modern, because this whole run the ball on first, second down, and then see what DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett can do on bracket coverage just isn't a good offensive strategy. Like I understand that you were able to build an offense, you were able to maybe even progress this talent, but you have to still be able to game plan and make adjustments to the game plan and also coach your talent to be able to adjust midseason, which seems like was non-existent on the Seattle offense. That's a great point, and, and it's clear the adjustments and the lack of familiarity or, or ability to adjust a game plan for Brian Schottenheimer that clearly is not not something he's equipped to coach throughout a full 16-game season. Russell Wilson was the best deep ball passer and a runaway MVP candidate through the month of October. And once the leaves started changing, falling to the ground and hitting the, the calendar in November, defenses adjusted like they do every single year in this league. It's the same old story. The offense gets out to a quick start, and then the defensive uh, masterminds catch up to it. And they didn't have an adjustment, like you said, Pat. Brian Schottenheimer did not have an adjustment to make sure he found some of the, those easy downfield throws that Russ was able to, to manufacture in the first eight weeks of the season. And on top of that, they don't have the personnel still in the offensive line room to run this type of offense. Dwayne Brown had a nice year, uh, and, and Damian Lewis was nice at guard, but Brandon Shell cannot pass block uh, as a tackle on the other side. Uh, of, of Dwayne Brown at left tackle. And then their center, Ethan Pochich, most likely going to be gone in free agency this year. It's been a problem for Seattle the entirety of Russell Wilson's career, and they need to marry the offensive line, like you said, with a probably a new play caller that can go in and really install a let Russ cook type of offense that is palatable and sustainable through an entire 16-game schedule. So a lot of uh, looking in the mirror for Pete Carroll and the rest of his crew, just like the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, these old guard kind of coaching staffs, every now and then, every five, six years, you got to look at yourself and say, what do we need to change? What do we need to adjust? And those two teams have a lot on their plate in that aspect. Closing out the Saturday slate before I tossed it over to Pat, it was the Taylor Heineke game, the Heineke Heineke hive getting, uh, getting buzzing here. As the Washington football team covers, they get the job done and cover 31-23 against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A nice little ho-hum, I think, is that four straight games now? 
for the greatest player of all time with 200 passing yards in the first half. Tom Brady was lights out once again. They kept him clean. I talked about last week how I thought Washington would be the poison pill for this unbelievable pressure rate that Brady was experiencing over the first uh, or over the past month, but they were not able to get to him consistently, just like all the past uh, past few defenses have been able to do. 381 yards, two touchdowns on the day. He found Mike Evans for a franchise record, six catches, 119 yards through the air. He comes back off of injury to wow things, and they got Leonard Fournette going a little bit. 93 yards, salted this game away with a touchdown as well, but the story for me, we all expected Tampa Bay to get the job done. I didn't see Tampa Bay do anything to make me think more or less of them heading into round three against the New Orleans Saints. But Taylor Heineke, he might have earned himself a couple million in the league, Pat, comes in off the, the bench, basically, had played one half of football in a Washington football team uniform, was taking math classes at ODU Old Dominion Online just about six weeks ago. And uh, he comes in 306 yards on 44 attempts for one touchdown and one interception. Also had the uh, the highlight reel diving pylon rushing touchdown as well. He actually led the team in uh, yards on the ground with six carries for 46. He was the highlight and the story for me in this one, Pat, as Washington football team, they cover. They were a great fun story all year long, but just wasn't quite enough from the defense, surprisingly, for them to get the job done and pull the upset. Still gave him two minutes to go back and win it, but you're right. I mean, it's got to be frustrating when uh, we've championed the front seven, or, you know, front seven, front five of this Washington football team all year. And then Leonard Fournette from the grave, Undertaker style, gets comes out from being buried in the earth to go for 19 <laughs> carries for 93 yards on you. That is uh, gut-wrenching if you're the Washington football team. You can't allow things like that to happen in a game like this. And then you're relying on Taylor Heineke to go out and just be a legend. 26-44 for 306. You told me Taylor Heineke was going to throw the ball 44 times in this game, Russ. I promise you my spread would have been a little larger than 8 points, which ultimately is what Vegas had it at. Vegas always knows what they're doing, but... I, I mean, I guess, you know, Tom Brady, I'll say it like I mentioned in the, the earlier game, in the Bills game, it's that swagger and mojo. The Bucks after they hit that bye week, after, the, or, you know, really it was after that, uh, the Chiefs and, you know, I think, or the Saints game, because they play the Chiefs and Rams well. After that second blowout to the Saints, Tom really seems like he got his groove back together. He seems much more laser focused. He seems like he's got the swagger of his receivers, the confidence of his team. He's going out there to win another Super Bowl, to win another championship. They're going to have a tough matchup. They got their kryptonite next week with the Saints, but I love just the swagger and confidence that the Bucks are playing with. You can feel their energy as a team, and it's uh, it starts with Tom because you can, I think you can feel it with him under center too. No doubt about it. Like I mentioned at the top, has been lights out over the past uh, month, month and a half in the first half of games, uh, highlighted by that basically undressing of the Lions on Christmas uh, on Christmas weekend. Just uh, just one of the more disgusting blowouts I've ever seen in an NFL professional football game. But uh, we'll just leave that leave that as leave that where it lies, as the old folks in Detroit search for an entire new brain trust. It's just it's amazing to me what this guy is able to do, Pat. Like, he was a top-five quarterback in overall efficiency when you combine EPA and uh, completion percentage over expectation. He led the NFL in air yards per attempt, which measures your depth of pass on each and every throw. So this guy was risking the biscuit, like old Bruce Arians likes to do, throughout the entire season. 
a year after people were questioning his arm strength, this guy's out there zipping balls all over the field, 40 attempts. Like, at, at almost 45 years old, not almost 45, but at, getting near his mid-40s, this guy is still the number one option for a contending, they're, they're, they're right there, a contending Super Bowl team with all the aspects of a unit that could lift a Lombardi trophy. Now we just have to see what kind of coaching matchup and coaching adjustments they can make against the New Orleans Saints. That's going to be a fun game to preview as we move uh, move towards that on the Thursday show. But closing up the season for Washington here, I think if you're Alex Smith, claps to you, buddy. But it's it's time to hang it up, brother. Let's 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 hang that up. You, you injured what's left of your calf muscle. Like you're gonna win the comeback player of the year. You're gonna have another trophy to put right next to the one your uh, your wife made out of the the cast or metal contraption, whatever that thing was that he had to wear. And if in Washington overall, maybe you you bring Heineke in in camp, uh, probably draft somebody at the end, near the end of the first round, maybe a Mac Jones or or uh, or, or um, Trey Lance, something like that as a quarterback prospect. But uh, it, it just feels like nice little fun Cinderella run, one last go for Alex Smith. But like, there's no you got nothing left to prove, buddy. You're not going to come back out here next year and be on a Super Bowl contending team. You're probably right. And he did say that part of the reason to come back and play in football was just to prove to himself and everybody, but mainly himself was that he could, right? And mm-hmm. so you're right. You know, he accomplished he accomplished everything that he wanted to do and more. He, he got a team to the playoffs. He got a whole city, a whole league, a whole country around him just from the, the pure grit and, and just inspiration his story is. So I'm with you. Hopefully he's able to walk away at, a, at terms that are happy and agree with him. Taylor Heineke from... Uh... From math class on his computer to battling an out with I don't know if you saw this after the game, Pat, but it was it was pure comedy watching Taylor Heineke go uh, go full uh, full autograph boy mode when he was trying to get that that nice uh, Kodak moment in the handshake with Tom Brady after the game. He was seeking out the go as anybody should be trying to get that moment. You want to be able to show the kids when you're in your uh, late sixties. Hey, little munchkins, I I battled it out with the goat on on prime time in the playoffs one time. That happened. One of very few people to ever do that. And uh, speaking of which, we uh, wrap up one of the or the first ever Saturday triple header slate. I give the reins over to Pat for the first ever Sunday triple header wildcard slate. And what a super Sunday it was. It started with I thought was probably the best matchup of the weekend mm-hmm. we had. That was the Baltimore Ravens going into Nashville, facing the Tennessee Titans and the fighting Mike Vrabel's fighting for everything that Mike Vrabel has below the belt. You guys know what I mean, but um, <laughs> in a, it was a weird game. It was a weird game. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, I think, had about 12 sacks on the entire year. Less sacks combined as a whole team than T.J. Watt had his own singular self. They went out and sacked Lamar Jackson, maybe the most elusive quarterback. Well, maybe. He is the most elusive quarterback we've ever seen. Went out and sacked him five times. Mm-hmm. They had great pressure. They were able to uh, to really hold a lot of the other run game from the Baltimore Ravens really well. But the difference maker was the man we just said. It was Lamar Jackson, who is just electric. He is the fastest, probably most athletic player that we have in the NFL. The touchdown run he had reminded everybody why. Reminded everybody the MVP that is. Yep. And uh, the story that was, the other story that was, Ryan Tannehill, top five quarterback in the NFL, just absolutely blowing our mind, making us go crazy. He uh, he is human again, Russ. 
came down to earth. That Ravens defense was aggressive. They were all after him. After Marlon Humphreys gave up a few big plays to A.J. Brown in that first series, they were able to buckle, buckle down very, very seriously. 18 for 26, only 165 yards for Tannehill. Derrick Henry, 18 carries for 40 yards. The Ravens' defense is mean, angry, and we knew this Ravens team was mean and angry team. We just think they lost it. I don't know what happened, but it seems like they finally uh, figured out the code again because they held a team in the Tennessee Titans who just last week uh, ran for 288 yards between Derrick Henry and their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. They ran for about 50 yesterday. That is a dominant performance for the Ravens defense and really makes you worried. I know, I know, I know the Bills do not want to face the Ravens, and especially if that defense has got the swagger and grooving like they are right now. Unbelievable. Just insane performance out of Don Martindale in this uh, this Baltimore Ravens defense. Hey, Pat, this guy is a defense coordinator. Needs to be getting more looks. You look at every major statistical category that you can judge an NFL defense on over the past three years since he took over as coordinator of Baltimore. They're basically first in every single major one, and almost I can almost guarantee you every single major category they are top three. Like This guy has been the head of one of the best units, the most consistent forces in the NFL, and they got healthy over the past couple weeks. That was the big reason why I really thought the Ravens were going to come away with this one and uh, and ultimately cover the spread here, which they did in a um, 20-13 effort. Calais Campbell, those guys up the middle, Derek Wolf, Matthew Judon, it's it, it just, just name, name a guy. They were playing as a full, complete unit yesterday, stacking the box at will and just making life completely difficult for Derrick Henry. Ran into eight-plus defender boxes on 72% of his runs. It's the fourth-highest rate any running back faced in a game in 2020, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. His, uh, his stat line against those eight-man boxes or more, 13 carries for 24 yards. Yeah, just never able to, to break through on that home run play, Pat. I saw it. Close to happening on three to four runs there late in the second half. Those those second-level moments where Patrick Queen or Tyus Bowser, those linebackers, are coming up to make the play, and they just barely get Derrick Henry on the ground two to three yards past the line of scrimmage, where in the back half of this season and in the past few seasons, we've seen those linebackers miss on those tackles, and he ultimately takes those plays 80 yards to the house for killers. Not today. The killer on those long runs and ultimately the second biggest killer run from a quarterback in NFL playoff history, Lamar Jackson, 48-yard touchdown run. That was the most electric play I think I've ever seen made by a quarterback in the playoffs, Pat. The way he got into the second level, stuck the cut, and then outran three defensive backs from the Baltimore Ravens who had pretty good sight lines and angles to get him out of bounds I'd before say. the pylon. Crazy stuff. 136 yards rushing. He was electric with his feet, and he did exactly what we thought they had to keep doing over this stretch. They've been leaning into his scrambling ability, allowing him to focus on his strengths as a football player and not necessarily trying to mold him into this gotta-be-sitting-back-there-in-the-pocket-as-a-passer. Only a 74.8 quarterback rating today, but it really didn't matter that he didn't have a touchdown through the air. 
Not at all. And I think it's the Raven. It's the game the Ravens want to play. They want to play kind of mm-hmm. ugly. They want to play on the ground. They want to play when the play breaks down because they know they're so much better. They're better on defense because they got athletes all over the field on defense. They got strong, mean, angry athletes all over the field. Even the ones that can't tackle are mean and angry, like Marcus Peters. But the team is just good. I know that you know in the NFC or AFC North take a lot of pride in it. You play mean, angry, aggressive football, and at least uh, you know a couple teams from that division came and did that this weekend. The Ravens were definitely one of them. I think they think they have a lot to prove uh, after last season, and first step in proving a lot of people wrong was this week, revenge game against the Titans. Hard to beat a team three times, Russ. It's hard to beat a team three times. No doubt about it, and I mentioned the health. Sometimes it, it kind of just can be cut and dry when you look at the injury report. The Ravens get back two huge pieces on their defensive line pairing on the interior there. And when you look at last year's playoff matchup, the Titans are without two of the massive pieces on their offensive line that they had last season. And Taylor Luan suffering that torn ACL this year. And, uh, of course, Jack Conklin moving on from the team this past offseason and going to the Cleveland Browns. Those small minutia, that tiny gap in elite talent, ultimately uh, forced the Titans' offense to become a shell of itself and I just didn't understand from the Titans' perspective, and we'll uh, kind of t- tie the bow up here on them as the Ravens match up with the Buffalo Bills. We'll be discussing and breaking down that entire matchup coming up on the weekend preview show. But, like, like I get Derrick Henry's your bread and butter. I understand it. But Ryan Tannehill, we gushed about him all year. The most, of, like, our, not the most efficient quarterback all season, but up there in the top three for almost the entire 16-game slate. He's a great play-action quarterback. He's a guy that you can lean on to make big plays, but it only seemed like Arthur Smith, who has laid some eggs in the playoffs over the past couple years and, and been pretty rigid with his game plans when it when it comes down to the wire, continuously kept giving the ball to Derrick Henry on first down, and he never unlocked any receivers in this game outside of A.J. Brown. Like, where where was Corey Davis? No target, or excuse me, two targets, no catches after having a breakout season in 2020. It's hard to win football games when you can only unlock one offensive weapon when you have a plethora of them in Tennessee. You're right about that, and I think Derrick Henry not being able to run the ball didn't unlock what has made Ryan Hannahill the elite quarterback, the top five quarterback in the league, and that's his efficiency off the play action. And when you can't run the ball with Derrick Henry, you're not going to get that separation off the play action. It's pretty simple. No doubt about it. No doubt about so it. So let's move So yeah, we'll we'll, move it along. we'll let Mike Rabel we'll let Mike Rabel off the hook for right now. We might revisit him a little bit later. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> we'll do that. Um moving along to the uh, best broadcast of the weekend. Oh, here Probably we the go. best broadcast in the history of the NFL and football games, the Nickelodeon broadcast, the Nick, the Nick, the Nickelodeon. I mean, it, what what an experience that was. Saints twenty one, Bears nine. Did anybody really watch the football game? Did anybody even pay attention to it? There was so much excitement going on outside of that. I don't but know if the MVP a, uh, voters were watching the game, but they were loving Mitch. <laughs> they, we know that they were loving Mitch. Mitch, Mitch wasn't awful in this game, but the Bears offense just continues to be uh, boring. This entire game was a little bit boring. Um, yeah, I don't know really what to say about this game. Really, all this game was was the Saints being better than the Bears. <laughs> like On defense, they were better than the Bears. On offense, they were actually able to run the ball, control the clock. They had a quarterback who was actually able to make short throws and control the ball through the air. And uh, they had wide receivers getting separation. Uh, on the Bears' side, you had uh, a lot of 
you know, 50-50 balls thrown in the air that you open for Allen Robinson to come down and a lot of nightmare hits in the ba- behind the line of scrimmage for David Montgomery. Everything about this was just the Saints being a superior team. I'm not really mu- sure what else to say about this one, Russ. I think uh, the seventh team in the NFC wasn't quite worth the uh, the game this week. And that's the evaluation the Chicago Bears have to make now. They have to set this up as if it's 2019. Or yeah, 2019, yeah. not uh, not the 2020 season. You have to evaluate this as if you were a team that's just on the outside looking into NFC playoff contention because they weren't. They were eight and eight. They weren't really a playoff team this year. They beat some some bad teams down the stretch to be able to sneak in there. Got some help from uh, the collapsing Arizona Cardinals. And this whole game, this whole season, this whole regime for the Chicago Bears can be summed up on the downfield deep ball trick play. That Mitch Trubisky puts on a freaking dime to Javon Wims in the first half. This is the same Javon Wims, people, that was tossed out of the game for getting into a fight with one C.J. Gardner-Johnson, the cornerback for the Saints earlier in the season. There was some controversy as to whether or not he should stay on the team. Most people, most evaluators, most football minds said, get him out of there. He's a bit player. That is uh, obviously a clear headache and can't control his anger. Well, they kept him on the team, and then he blew it down the stretch, and then another wide receiver ended up getting kicked out of this game uh, for the Chicago Bears. Anthony Miller uh, getting in a tussle with, who, who you know who, Mr. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who was, fighting, who was fought with Michael Thomas, Javon Wims, and now Anthony Miller this season. All of this after Matt Nagy, <laughs> Pat, had multiple five- to ten-minute conversations, he said post-game, throughout the week, highlighting the antics of C.J. Gardner-Johnson and telling his wide receivers in particular – do not take the bait. Like, I don't understand how they kept Javon Wims on this team. I don't understand how Anthony Miller stays on this team. But they probably will because the Chicago Bears have never... Like, when is the, when, who is the best Chicago Bears receiver in history? Is it Allen Robinson? Let's be real. In the, I'm not, like, in the past 40 years, who is the best Chicago Bears receiver? Like, Mushin Muhammad? I'm, I'm serious. It's, it's the same Brandon old thing. Marshall. Brandon Yeah, I guess you could go Brandon Marshall. But, like, Denver, Broncos, you get... It's the same old thing with the <laughs> Chicago Bears. Allen Robinson traded from the Jaguars, gets a terrible quarterback, and he's probably going to leave this year. Like They have no identity on offense, and it was perfectly put on display with that Javon Wims drop. was a p- perfect encapsulation of this entire season. And I'm just gra- glad, like, hopefully we don't have to debate Mitch Trubisky anymore. Please let us not have to debate Mitch Trubisky. He beat up on some, uh, some terrible defenses down the stretch and didn't even really beat up on them. Made really easy throws. Uh, got easy, clean looks, but went out there against the a top five defense in uh, in DVOA, third in pass defense DVOA in the New Orleans Saints, and uh, had a 9.4 QBR, Pat, that went down to uh, Chris 0.4. Yes, 0.4 out of 100 when he was under pressure in this game. The guy, like you mentioned, was ho-hum. They, they kept it easy for Mitch, and that's the problem. They never let Mitch be terrible because they're so afraid of him being terrible. It just paralyzing themselves. And what do you get? A uh, nice little 30 or excuse me, 21 to nine. Um, just ho-hum fun Nickelodeon game. That's what it was. I was glad this game was the Nickelodeon game because it allowed us to take our minds off the Mr. Trubisky uh, experience for a few hours. And that's, uh, that's about all this one will ever be remembered as Russ's Nickelodeon game. <laughs> it's about it. Oh, man. But uh, I think we have one more game to get to. Um, yes, there is, Pat. There is another game. 
please discuss. Please tell us. We were what I was. I was. I was. Quite, I was wondering where you were on Twitter last night. It didn't seem like you were very active on that uh, platform last night. You know, Russ. They do tell you to let people to rest in peace. Okay, <laughs> it isn't very kind for you to go and make a mockery and to dance on others' graves, which is exactly what you did. I did think at a moment there that we were in line for a classic Russ Jinx. I thought you had done God's work in getting the Steelers back into this game at one moment. but 35-23, uh, I was uh, sweating. We were all sweating. I, I tweeted a picture of the 99.2% <laughs> win probability with a couple sweating emojis, and I was like, oh, God, I'm just going to have to lean into the comeback now. I already got too many receipts. I can't delete these tweets. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but let's let's dive into it. The, uh, the Cleveland Browns head into Heinz Field in Pittsburgh under the lights to face the black jerseyed Steelers. It's a great it's a great sight to see as a Steelers fan. You watch your team come out at home under Heinz Field under the lights, especially in the playoffs, especially watching a division foe in orange come into play. You know you're going to win. You know it's it's just it is a uh, the original sin of being a Cleveland Brown is uh, losing in Heinz Field. But uh times have changed. It's a weird year and Cleveland Browns, they do it. 48-37. I think we all saw it coming. You know, the last, whatever, five weeks of the Pittsburgh Steelers season was just disgusting. It was awful to watch. It was horrible football. And there was uh, there was massive red flags everywhere. And, Russell, I'll tell you what. The best-kept secret this year in the National Football League was just how bad the Steelers' offensive line, and the Steelers' offensive coordinator are. You wonder why the Steelers can't run the ball. Well, it's because they have a terrible offensive line. You wonder why the Steelers can't hold on to the ball for more than two seconds in the pocket to throw the ball downfield. Well, it's because their offensive line can't hold anybody for more than two and a half seconds. It, it, you wonder why they have no creativity or because they have a terrible offensive coordinator who's not actually qualified to be in the position. He's just good friends with the quarterback. There's a lot of questions to be answered this offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know how hard the questions are, though. I don't know if the questions are, when is Ben going to retire? Or, you know, how do we buffer to the next quarterback? Or it's, what do we do at the head coaching position? Because I'm the biggest defender of Mike Tomlin there is. But it's the same thing when we looked at the Seahawks and talked about Pete Carroll on that offense. Like, what in the world happened? Well, it's clear what's happening with the Steelers team is that they're relying solely on their talent, solely on their playmakers, and solely on their head coach's ability to get that team and those playmakers revved up and ready to play. Unfortunately, that's not the only factor that comes to winning a football game. And when your offense is completely completely ignores the idea of adjusting game plan until the starting quarterback basically just has to go into the huddle and play backyard football and draw up plays on the football it's not necessarily a, a comforting game plan or comforting thought. I don't know exactly what the answer for the Steelers is. I know the first answer is to get rid of the guy that is uh, called the offensive coordinator. Matt Canada would be an obvious and clear promoter, uh, you know, a person for promotion of that spot. But mm-hmm. credit to the Browns. They played great. I mean, it's a great Browns team. We knew it was a good team. But I mean, the Steelers, the very first snap, gave the ball away for a touchdown, and then Ben throws a pick on a lazy play where he's getting pressured on a lazy play call on just like a dump down to the running back because that's half the offense. So everything that the Steelers tried to look past and, and ignore and avoid 
uh, looking inward and internally came back to bite them within the first three minutes of the game. And they deserved everything that happened after that. And everything that happened after that is exactly, you saw all the positive factors of the team. You saw great wide receiver play. You saw a strong arm at the quarterback. You saw the ability to get separation and make plays and, and get yards after the catch. But there's clearly no brain trust that's that is activating this and putting it into an effective game plan. We're making the adjustments necessary for the players. It's all on the players to do that on themselves right now. It seems. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say, Russ. Um, <laughs> I don't think the defense got a fair shake yesterday for the Steelers. They didn't necessarily play well, and it, you know you have to be very proud if you're the the Browns' offense on how you execute, especially without Stefanski there. But I mean, the offense could not have shot the team in the foot more to start the game and, and you have to put it on the offensive line and the offensive coordinator and it's just two two positions they've just you know two areas they decided that uh they could sort of just turn their nose at and next year it's going to be so 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 much worse you saw what a long season did to them another year in age isn't going to help them and I, I'm, I'm certain that that offense coordinator is not going to learn anything with the downtime so 90-plus points allowed by this Steelers defense across their last two playoff games. They've been defeated by Blake Bortles in a career effort and uh, basically Baker Mayfield in close to a career effort in this one. 263 yards, three touchdowns, a 92.8 QBR. He was about as close to perfect as a quarterback as you can pee. The kind of poetic justice a little bit as Jarvis Landry, uh, essentially the first kind of huge piece that was traded to this Cleveland Browns team, starting this quote-unquote rebuild. He comes up huge, five catches for 92 yards and a touchdown, made massive plays to start the game off. And yeah, the Steelers made some mistakes, but the Browns punched them in the mouth. They beat the hell out of the Steelers in this game. They took advantage of every single opportunity that the home team afforded them, a 28-0 first-quarter deficit. I believe that was a playoff record in points scored in a quarter for the Cleveland Browns. This was shocking. A shocking development, and it's one where, like, I'm not one to super massively overreact to a, to a playoff loss. And yes, this team was 11 and 0, but you have to really question the masterminds and the people putting together game plans that allowed this team to uh, to end up 12 and 5 on the season and win just one game over the final six weeks of the year. Like Randy Fickner, some of the stuff he was doing in this game was just an abject disaster. I get it, the Steelers put up 37 points, and yeah, Big Ben, over 500 yards, that's all great. But the, the, the Browns, once you go up 28 nothing in a football game... I want game, it to be clear. I want it to be clear that Randy Fickner gets no credit for any of the statistics or any of the positives. Yeah, Big Ben it's looked like Randy. he took over play calling at halftime again. He, he did. I promise you he did. He took over play calling in, in the second quarter, it looked like. Randy Fickner is by far the most inept, incompetent, coordinator like, in all of sports it's let alone so vanilla pack they they do the same they've been doing the same thing on offense for the past half decade they don't run any motion they rely on the one-on-one matchup well they did the, run a lot of motion if you watched earlier in the year matt yeah. canada and it went away uh, yeah up there we and it, about uh, it. i don't understand what happened i don't know if it's if it's randy fickner trying to do this power struggle i don't know if it's tomlin i don't know what tomlin's reach into the offense is i don't know if he gives so much leeway and so much command to Ben in the offense because he trusts them so much that he goes so hands off. But I just, I am puzzled. I am puzzled beyond belief on, on what happened to the, to, to the Steelers offense. And I mean, it's just, it's so frustrating because it seems to be a mental thing. 
and I know a lot of people want to point at the receivers on the Steelers, mainly Juju, and in the, in the a, a quote taken completely out of context from Chase Claypool today. I mean, all Juju was saying, of course, he said it in a snarky way, and that was probably intentional given Juju's personality, but it's the Browns of the Browns. You have to think like that. They're a division team. You're going to play them twice a year, and it doesn't matter if it's that 0-16 team that you go into Cleveland and tie to start the year because you didn't take the game seriously, or if it's a playoff game and a you know 11-win Browns team that comes in and punches you straight in the mouth. You have to take them seriously, and I don't think that that's the you know the example of the mental lapse from this team but it seems like just an all-around depletion of confidence of swagger i don't know if it's when bud dupree went down which was definitely a major major swing in the season when you look at the steelers and the momentum i don't know if it, the certain players that were lost uh you know just i don't know what it was i think there's a lack of leadership on that offense so it, it starts with the quarterback and ben he's gonna play for another three years and we know it and it's uh I don't know. I don't. You, it's uh, it's a hard situation. Million dollars. Dollars and the Steelers, in part, part of their draw and part of what's made them such a successful franchise and a desirable one to play for is the fact that they are so loyal to their players. And I'm, you know, it's promise you that Big Ben's not going to be the first one. We saw Troy Polamalu get the star treatment, even when Troy could barely run anymore. We saw it with James Harrison. We've seen it with players time and time and time and time again. Uh, it just happens to be a much more important, much more high-profile position and one that happens to be making mistakes at very, very crucial, crucial times. Uh, you better believe if there are fans in that stadium, Ben would have been booed off the field. He would have been booed off the field in what could have been his last game as a Steeler. So um, the Steelers are fortunate there was not a lot of fans there, only family and friends to watch him play because that could have been a very, very ugly scene for Mike Tomlin the Steelers if that stadium was full last night. It was bad. It was really ugly from the jump. One of uh, two lost fumbles in the 10-year career from starting uh, center Marquise Pouncey. Uh, goes behind Ben Roethlisberger's head, and then he runs after it and just stares at it as Carl Joseph recovers within the end zone, doesn't jump on the ball. That was a little throwback to Cam Newton in the uh, Super Bowl five years ago. And it's just snowballed from there. And the strength of this Pittsburgh Steelers team, the defense, like I mentioned, got punched in the mouth by a hampered offensive line from Cleveland. Baker Mayfield was talking after the game that uh, one of the substitutes that had to come in mid-game after they had uh, multiple linemen, including Jack Conklin, go out with injury, he had just met like in the locker room earlier that day. The guy, I'm pretty sure, had his girlfriend calling out uh, calling out cadences in the parking lot so that he could get ready uh, going through his own extended walkthroughs because he hadn't practiced with the team. That's the situation that the COVID Browns were dealing with this week. And for the Steelers to lay an egg like that, having so many advantages, having the pedigree, the, the all-time Hall of Fame head coach, uh, the way he got his players to play was really disappointing for Mike Tomlin. And because I'm going to get after my, my, my guy, Mike Rabel, I'll just spoil it now for the fumble of the week. Mike Tomlin punting that ball with the momentum, and we can whatever have the momentum debates, whatever you want to say, but he, he, he punted the ball in the momentum away coming out of the third quarter when they had a beautiful little 25-yard punt on the opponent's 38-yard line. He was on the Browns' 38-yard line, and the guy just punts the ball away. They had all the momentum. If you go down the field and score right there, I fully believe that game's coming down to the wire, most likely with Ben Roethlisberger having a chance to win the game in the final few minutes. That doesn't happen as, like, I just, I cannot 
explain that at all. Punt formation with the game on the line. I, I don't get it, Pat. You had one yard to go, and you get, what, net of like 25 yards on the punt? The, the Browns, three plays later, had, had already gained all the punt yards back. I can't, I can't explain the peewee football tactics that happened before the punt in them trying to draw them offside from yeah. punt formation or anything. Obviously, I do think that the Steelers should have gone for it. The analytics say they should have gone for it. All the numbers point to that direction. But Mike Tomlin has been very steady throughout his entire career that he's going to put his defense um, in a situation to make a stop, basically. And that was the challenge. Uh, let's face it, the momentum was on the Steelers' side at that point, and that's something I, I did think about and wanted to touch on. Momentum in sports is such a massive, massive factor that you don't get to bring in to the numbers. And I get that's why a lot of people were so frustrated with that decision. And, I mean, it's what it's what killed the Steelers so much in the first half, and it's why I don't put too much blame on the defense for a lot of the first half. It was it's You can't, when a team grabs that momentum, has the juice like the Browns did, and they're humming and they're rolling, it's so hard for a defense, especially without the fans, to come out there and just stalemate that energy. And... You know, there's a saying in baseball that you hitting is contagious. You get a couple dudes hit, and the whole team is hitting all of a sudden because mm-hmm. it gets in the it gets in the pitcher's head. The pitcher starts thinking there's more high pressure pitching, there's more high pressure situation. Well, football is very similar, and the term that everybody loves to use is the idea of complementary football. Right? You had it. You got to as an offense. If your defense is out there for a long stretch of time, well, you want to run the ball, control the clock a little bit, get your defense you know, settled, get their energy back up, let them rest a little bit, let them get their feel for it, put the other team at a little bit more pressure to have to work with the clock or control the ball. Well, the Steelers didn't do that at all in the first half, obviously. They, you know, fumbled a touchdown away, threw two picks, fumbled it, gave them the ball in the 13-yard line. The Steelers' defense never had a chance to grab momentum or put their mark on the game to really, to punch the Browns in the mouth first. So I understand what Tomlin was doing in that situation. He was hoping to pin the Browns deep, get a quick short field, and roll the momentum like he was doing. I understand the final decision. What's frustrating is they have a terrible punter. They've had the worst punter <laughs> in football all year. Who's that, and Jordan so, Berry? <laughs> Jordan Berry, who they had a who they cut their original punter. Jordan Berry was their punter last year, decided to let him go because he was so bad. Had another punter in their earlier part of the year, was the worst punter in the NFL, cut him, let him go, got Jordan Berry back, also the worst punter in the NFL since. So... They didn't have, I mean, they can't run the ball. I just talked about how bad their offensive line is because yep. they're all 35 and they can't they can't get any burst out of their 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 jump step, their step forward. Ding, ding. And so they can't they can't run the ball. So they can't that's not an option. You know, Ben probably can't turn his hips around from under center, so that's not an option. <laughs> You've already shown the fullback dive twice from your uh, game script. Derek Watt so, getting the love. I can't yeah, believe I mean, they no, ran two a, fullback dives in this game. I can't either. As a Steelers fan, I felt more comfortable with the fact, the idea that I knew the Steelers defense was going to need to make a play, so might as well give the ball back to Baker, see if he doesn't throw a pick six or something happen. So that has uh, been a theme, it's... though, though a very odd theme. Baker has, uh, I don't, I think he's gone almost a month without throwing a pick. He was, uh, he was very clean on this one today. And I got to correct myself a little bit here. They were not on the Browns' thirty-eight yard line. They were on their own forty-six. But regardless, it's one yard. It is one yard. You are the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in the playoffs. 
and you can't get a yard out of your offensive line. You can't sneak Ben Roethlisberger. That's another thing that we won't go down for another 10 minutes. Why does Ben Roethlisberger never, ever sneak? It's got to be a Philip Rivers type of he's thing. They frail. Just, he's there's too, too old. Yeah, too yeah old. he just he doesn't want to do it. So 48-37, we're railed on the Steelers there. i got to give some love real quick, though, to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, just an unbelievable job. You had uh, Sean McDermott as your coach of the year. I thought that was a worthy selection. I was, uh, I, I, I thought you would put, pick Kevin Stefanski, so that's why I went ahead and chose him. And This kind of this preparation and performance highlights why he is the kind of runaway favorite right now to win that award. Like the, the, this, It was kind of encapsulated by one nugget that I think Chris Collinsworth had on the broadcast where Kevin Stefanski all throughout the week away from the facility, doing all these things virtually, having all these meetings, dropped the uh, knowledge nugget of making sure his defensive linemen had their hands up uh, immediately following the snap because of how quickly Ben Roethlisberger likes to get the ball out. Well, that caused a couple of tip passes through uh, throughout this game that led to interceptions. It's the little things like that uh, that kind of encapsulate a head coach, a guy that has the p- pulse and has the the hand on the uh, hand on the reader of his entire football team. So great job by Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield. They had a had a nice little uh, ode last night to uh, the rest of the team to Kobe Bryant and uh, the finals about a decade ago when he said job's not over. They're moving on to Kansas City, and after pulling the six point upset here, the biggest upset of the of the weekend, I would say, the most surprising one. Who knows? This is NFL. This is football. You lay it all on the line every every week between the hashes. They could go into Kansas City and get it done. Crazier things have happened. And uh, if you're the Cleveland Browns fan, don't even think about that. Just enjoy this win throughout the rest of the week. Uh, you guys have earned it after going uh, similar to the Buffalo Bills, a quarter century since their last playoff victory. Uh, when Pat and I were negative three. Yeah, we were negative three years old last time the Browns won a game in the postseason. So soak it up, bask in it for all it's worth. Great job, Cleveland wins forty-eight thirty-seven. And that 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 there it it's is. It's okay, Pat. You don't have to. You don't have to give them praise after they beat beat you up like that. It's okay. I mean, it's fine. What sucks is I've been <laughs> I've been the Browns fan of the pod. I have been the podcast. The That's true. Browns you picked fan. them to I'm go the to the one, playoffs. I'm the one who picked them to go to the playoffs. And in any other world, in any other bizarro world where the Steelers are not my favorite team and not the <laughs> team that I root for. I would have been all over the Browns in this game. I would have been betting on them. I would have been rooting for them. I would have been picking them. I would have been championing them. But uh, it sucks. Like, I almost wanted to last night when I felt it happening. Like, I wanted to be happy. I wanted to just, like, let it go and just feel good for the Browns and just be like, hey, man, it's kind of cool to see it happen. It's a sports thing. But you know how it is as a sports fan. When you see those colors on your team, when you see the colors that you're playing, there's only only one thing that you can stay attached to during the moment. And so – my frustration lives, and um, what sucks for the Browns, too, is I am no longer a Browns fan because they're going against uh, my Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> the man I share a name with, and the man that I've been calling the greatest of all time since he was uh, in his first year starting. So I got a champion that that yeah, You don't want him losing to Cleveland, Browns. having that on the resume. Be tough to... <laughs> exactly. I got too many receipts. I got too many receipts about Patrick Mahomes. I got to make sure that he uh, makes me look good still. Exactly. We'll see how many uh, Cleveland Browns fans start uh, creeping their way out of the ground now that uh, they have a playoff victory. That's going to be very, very, very easy, very palatable for me as a Bengals fan, you as a Steelers fan. We're going to love if the Browns get back to their winning ways from the 80s. That's going to be very easy to deal with. And not, <laughs> it's going to be not. very, very easy to hate. It's going to yes. be very easy to hate. There you go. There you go. The, the, uh, 
the curse of Bernie Kosar being lifted. He is uh, becoming a full, <laughs> full-fledged member of the uh, of the Cleveland Browns Brigade now. 48-37, Browns get the job done. That closes out all six games, went in-depth, uh, a little bit more, uh, more in- enticing here with the analysis uh, in terms of this weekend as opposed to the first 16 weeks. A lot fewer games, but a lot more storylines to break down. Cannot wait to see what we get from divisional round weekend. We got Baltimore taking on the Buffalo Bills. We got Kansas City versus the Cleveland Browns. And then in the NFC, Aaron Rodgers matches up against the L.A. Rams and Jared Goff, and we get the round three in the NFC South. Breeze, Brady, the two guys battling it out for the yards lead and the touchdowns lead going head-to-head. That should be a lot of fun. We'll break all that down on the Thursday weekend preview edition of Ryan the 3x3. Let's go ahead and close out this show, Pat, with lane number three. Like we do every single week, we have MVP and Fumble of the Week. I'll go ahead and drop my MVP of the week. It's a guy that shut down all the haters. Tennessee going into this game in 2020, 8-0 when taking a double-digit lead at any point in a game. Lamar Jackson in his career, I believe 0-6, and I know that he has never won a game where he has fallen down double digits. He came back with a vengeance in this one. Ho-hum through the air, 17-24, 179 yards, and a touchdown, but uh, one of the top five performances ever in the playoffs from a quarterback in terms of rushing yards, had the second-longest rushing touchdown in playoff history, right behind Colin Kaepernick's electric run in the playoffs about eight years ago. 16 carries, 136 yards, and a touchdown. Lamar Jackson is the most electric player to watch carry a football or make anything happen with a football in this league, and he was a lot of fun uh, silencing the critics in the victory on Saturday, 2013 over Tennessee. Who's your MVP, Pat? I'm going to go with a coach that we love, that I love, Sean McVay. And the reason I'm going to give it to Sean McVay is because I just spent a lot of time talking about coaches who are unable to adapt and unable to change and maybe unable to see their own flaws and their own negative tendencies. And I think Sean McVay is proven to be the furthest thing from that, or at least he's impressed me extremely much and his ability to change in recent years. They were a high-powered offense. They they were scoring, you know, what felt like 50 a game. He was the offensive guru, the offensive mastermind. He goes and gets Jared Goff paid hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, turns out Jared Goff stinks. <laughs> turns out that they can't score when they play elite defenses and elite defensive coordinators. And Sean McVay has a decision to make pretty much within one year of missing the playoffs. He goes around, gets Brandon Staley in there, completely changes the entire identity, you know, goes out super aggressively, they get Jalen Ramsey. And in a game where their $100 million quarterback has a broken hand and their other option is uh, a CFL legend or whatever John Wolford was doing, they go into Seattle and win a division game, a playoff game, 30-20 to 20 on the road and do it in a completely different fashion than Rams teams that we've been completely comfortable with or maybe even expected. And so mm-hmm. for that adjustment and for that coaching, I'll give Sean McVay my MVP this week. It would go to Stefanski, except he wasn't there. And, uh, yeah, whatever. I, I like did the You got to tell me the Browns social media team had some video on Stefanski, right? Like, we yeah, had to that, get I mean, some kind of DSLR in that household. <laughs> Where is this footage? I need to see the reaction of Kevin Stefanski once that uh, clock hit triple zeros. And I also want to see the reaction of Kevin Stefanski right before the clock hits triple zeros at the point where the Steelers go or get, cut the score 35 to 23. Get to see the uh, 
the two polar opposite reactions right there. We need that from the Browns media team. And, uh, and speaking of young head coaches, like you mentioned, Sean McVay, unbelievable job looking in the mirror, adjusting his team. And who would have thought, after being one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL to start his coaching career with the Rams, he has now turned this team into the number one defense in the NFL and easily the scariest unit on that side of the ball remaining amongst the, uh, the eight teams left in the playoffs. So we shall uh, we shall see what happens and what Sean McVay has uh, up his sleeve. A much better coach, or this weekend at least, than my fumble of the week, where we have the Tennessee Titans' Mike Rabel making two hugely terrible decisions in this game. First off, one that really went under the radar that wasn't talked about as much as the second one, was carrying two timeouts into the locker room uh, coming out of the first half. The guy had multiple instances where he could have used those timeouts, gotten more um, seconds on the clock for his offense to be able uh, to take the lead here as the two teams went in the locker room tied at 10-10. And then coming out of the locker room in the fourth quarter, this guy comes out here and has the fourth worst fourth down kicking decision of the entire season, according to uh, Ben Bodwin's Go For It bot. They had two yards to go on fourth down with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. They punt the ball 25 yards, Pat, back to the Baltimore Ravens, who were moving the ball at this point. The offense was starting to click, and what do you know? Lamar Jackson and the offense goes down the field. They kick a field goal to uh, basically put this thing out of reach. And to me, like the explanation that Mike Rabel gave afterwards, it's just not good enough, buddy. You thought your defense was playing well and you could pin them back. What are you talking about? Similar thing with the Browns and Mike, Mike Tomlin's decision. The Ravens got those yards back in like two plays. It was over. The decision was, was firmly deemed dumb one minute into the Ravens next drive. So just a really rough look out of Mike Rabel in a pat an 18th month stretch where he was being lauded all over for his clock management and his in-game coaching decisions. He laid an egg here, Pat, as uh, he like those two those two decisions kind of indirectly cost this Tennessee Titans team the game in a one possession battle throughout the afternoon out there in Nashville. It was really bad. Uh. Why is everybody trashing on Tomlin? More people should be clowning on Vrabel for yeah, those decisions. Yeah, it's because of the prime but, uh, time. Vrabel's flying under the is. radar because he got the nice little 1 p.m. slate. But his that it that is. punt decision was – like Tomlin's was bad, but this one was malpractice. And if people were watching the <laughs> – uh, the it was hilarious to watch on the ESPN Plus between the line stream. They had this cool new addition for their playoff megacast where they had the NFL Live crew with Dan Orlovsky and Mina Crimes – uh, out there doing commentary on the game and then also giving live line updates from Doug Kassirian and the uh, and the Daily Wager crew in Vegas. So that was a cool different aspect, and I loved listening to that as opposed to the traditional broadcast. And when, when Vrabel punted on that play, the entire studio just went up in arms. They were like, what in the hell is he doing? And it was, it was, it was just – it was so bad, man. I could not believe – they punted that ball. Ravens go down nine plays, 52 yards, field goal. Tannehill throws the interception next drive, and the game's over. The game was over at that point. Terrible fumble of the week for Mike Vrabel. Cost his team big time there. What do you got, Pat, to close this out? Upset I missed that broadcast. Huge fan of Mina and the NFL live team. But, they need to but, do uh, it. I think they're going to add it for Monday Night Football next year. I don't know why they wouldn't. Just might as well. You got ESPN Plus. You got unlimited feeds. Just add it in there. 
I'm a. Hey, I'm with you. And as someone who uh, also say it again, huge fan of Mina Kimes. She should be on all the NFL broadcasts. She's electric and a superstar. But I'll go with a fumble leak. Let's get back on topic. I guess I got to give it to uh, somebody on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know. You name um, <laughs> who is the most deserving candidate. Ben Roethlisberger maybe gets part of it for just completely um, refusing to Let's accept. give it to Fickner. We'll Let's give it to Fickner. Let's give it to Randy. Let's give it to Randy Fickner. And uh, if you want to know why Randy Fickner is going to get the fumble of the week, you can Google Randy Fickner. And you can just see that who we've been talking and ranting about for this entire time. Take a good long look at what Randy Fickner looks like as a human being. You tell me if you want him to be the play caller and the shot caller for your modern $100 million, billion dollar offensive operation that you call an NFL football team. And you're going to trust him with your job and the job of the people you care about and the welfare of you and your family and the people you love you put that guy in charge uh mike tomlin that's like that's the only thing about mike tomlin that makes me really consider uh his security and he's got the security because he's the head coach of the pittsburgh steelers but man he's got to figure out something to do with that guy it was just get a, him out of town it was just the kind of magnum opus from the entire head honcho the trio of the Steelers from Keith Butler uh, defending almost every receiver he can find in the slot with a linebacker just won't stop doing that and then you got uh, old For Randy years. yeah Ugh. years years of playoff games being hinged on those decisions and still not making that adjustment from old Keith and then we got Randy Fickner like you mentioned the just, just stinking up the joint with his play calling last night. And, he definitely uh, stinks. Yeah, and Mike Tomlin with his fourth down decisions. Uh, so it was an overall kind of magnum opus. Nice little – I tweeted this out when Nick Wright wanted to make sure people don't put their put all their blame on Mike Tomlin. It was a nice team effort. That's what I tweeted out. It was a nice team effort from the Pittsburgh Steelers who, yes, they have leaned on their continuity because why wouldn't you when you are, what, tied with – that are there they lead they lead the league in Super Bowl titles so like yeah like it, it's gotten them gotten gotten the job done in the 70s it's gotten the job done in the past 20 years but it has been a long time since the Steelers have had consistent postseason success and uh, we'll see if that hinges on their decisions this season or if they look at that 11-0 start and just kind of run things back a lot of fun breaking down super wild card weekends and uh, as we get out of here, that contempt Pat had in his voice right there for Randy Fickner. Been doing this pod with this guy for, for, for almost, uh, we're getting on nine months here. Haven't heard that kind of contempt right there. Times are, uh, times are rough in Pittsburgh, as, as they are in, in Cincinnati as well. Both teams it on was, opposite uh, ends of the uh, winning spectrum this year, but kind of searching for identities, Pat. You're lucky that it was a tamed baseball season, <laughs> let's say that, because uh, the Reds deserve plenty of the contempt from my voice that they uh, otherwise escaped. But yeah, yeah it's been. Uh, it was hard to keep track t- of all the contempt we needed to give the Reds right. with with everything going on. This this was uh, one of the tougher losses I've experienced as a fan, and I do accept and um, I guess anticipate and expect all the sympathy and uh, thoughts my way. So I'll accept it. Thank you very much. Don't hold your breath, Pat. Don't hold your breath because uh, I know this guy won't be sending you many thoughts. As uh, still looking for a playoff win, as uh, the last time it happened, you, when I was negative six years old. My... So, so, so. But the Browns, they got theirs. They got theirs. 1995 quarter century. Bills quarter century. A lot of huge historic uh, milestones being set this weekend. Maybe some more will fall next season in Bengal land. Uh, like I'm not holding my Pat's not holding his breath for that, and I'm not going to be holding my breath 
for any playoff uh, wins for Cincinnati anytime soon. But we shall see what happens as the divisional round gets rolling next weekend. Two games apiece, I believe, on Saturday and Sunday. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll break all that down on the weekend preview along with some other news and notes around the NFL as the offseason is heating up. Deshaun Watson, not happy. Doug Peterson, like Pat predicted last week, uh, ultimately out in Philadelphia and then we have some other coaching hires and the such to get to. On top of the NBA being uh, a little bit teetery right now with their projection for the rest of the NBA season. We'll touch on all that in the Thursday weekend preview edition along with a reaction to the national championship game where Pat has Alabama. I have Ohio State as the winner. Can of, I switch my pick? You want to go with Ohio State? Let's go with it. I think Ohio is feeling the energy okay. right now. All those Bounce fans, they immediately went to the went to their closets, put on their James Laronitis and Troy Smith jerseys. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about the Buckeyes. There you go. All right. At 8, eight o'clock right now, we got about 20 minutes to kick off. Pat switching his pick. It's official now to the Ohio State Buckeyes. We're both on the underdogs. We'll see if they can get the job done after uh, facing some COVID issues over the past week or so. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman, wishing everybody a happy healthy rest of your week. We'll be back on Thursday to break down everything surrounding divisional weekend in the NFL. Have a beautiful week, everybody.